Hey everyone, Penda here. Just wanted to drop in to let you know this episode's been split into two parts. We were having so much fun recording, we ran way long. Part one will not have the usual wrap-up, new news or cat smooth exit. And part two, which will either follow in a few days or immediately after, depending on your specific coordinates on the timeline, will not have the usual intro. But don't worry, I'll be here to remind you. So grab your drink and settle in because it's a fun one. And hey, thanks for listening. Welcome back to Fan Service with Cat and Penda, a podcast with two Fraulein's talking about stuff. We're fans of books, TV, movies, anime, podcasts, and maybe we share your favorites. As always, I am Penda. And I am Cat. And we <laughs> we're just doing that final check to make sure. And we've got some <laughs> we've got some fun stuff to talk about today. So we're gonna get started in just a little bit. But first, Kat, what are you wearing? Yes, Penda. <laughs> well, <clears throat> today, because well, for no other reason other than I just wanted to put it on, I'm feeling pretty super today and full of hope. So I am rocking a Superman tee. I'm going to call it a Supergirl tee. I'm going to even do the music. Do, 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 do. That's the only score that counts, by the way. Okay, great. You're talking about Superman. <laughs> Gift from Tech Guy, whose real name is Tech Guy. So I'm definitely feeling stronger and more powerful and more confident. Um, and mostly just me so <laughs> what about you Pinda? what are you rocking today well it's been a billion degrees here so uh, i've been pulling out my uh, my comfortable my comfortable summer gear uh which looks a lot like my my comfortable winter gear um it's just <laughs> just with just with like 90 percent less sleeves um but i i i do have on my my tank top it's a, it looks uh, upon first glance it looks like a Ouija board but it actually says leave me alone always as friendly as ever always a surprise <laughs> always a smile and, and it's and it, the graphic is placed perfectly so I always know when someone's staring at my chest it's like ha yeah yeah and, and, and they should be shamed <laughs> you're busted you're totally I know exactly busted. what you're looking at because now you're ashamed now you're ashamed and you're giggling yeah exactly like leave me alone leave me alone thank you very much <laughs> leave me alone <laughs> so what are you uh what are you keeping cool with today what's your what's your libation of choice ah uh, well i have decided to lubricate my lungs or call it <laughs> with a nice <laughs> a nice tall class i i don't know i i try it doesn't always work out let's face it 90 percent of the time it doesn't work but i have a nice heaping tall glass in my um my boss lady adult sippy cup refreshing sweet red wine um it's my my favorite brand as usual it keeps me relaxed and keeps me under control 
How about you, Binda? Well, I am not. I am not trying to drown myself by lubricating my lungs. <laughs> well, poor choice of words. <laughs> uh, but so, um, I, I was out and about, and I did gardening this morning. So I thought I deserved uh, a fine treat. So I have myself uh, an iced an iced caramel macchiato from 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 McDonald's, and they put whipped cream Ooh. on it and caramel. And I got it a little bit ago, and I wanted to save it for the podcast. Uh, so so it's lost a little bit of the sure. yeah, it's lost a little bit of that uh, of the whipped cream head that was on, and it's starting to separate. So I'm pretty sure all that good. Uh, caffeine goodness is settling right down at the bottom. So can't wait for that to kick in. Well, look, I'm, I'm more afraid of your caffeine ki- uh, kick in than my, uh, my, my wine kicking in. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be. A, right. It's going to be a fun. I think I, my, like, why are you talking so fast? Pinda? I know, slow down. Like, on my first pick, I've got to go and then when I'm done with it, and then I have to go, uh, like, wait a minute, <laughs> dial, calm down. Dial it back. I, I, dial it back a little bit. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I hear uh, Crow throwing it, throwing himself against the uh, the bedroom door, too. Because oh, I, well, he was asleep when I came in here, and now he's awake and he's realized he can't see me, and, and it's a problem. It's a problem. But you know what? Too bad. Of course it is. Too freaking bad. The king must be able to survey his kingdom. That's right. That's right. So, so speaking of, of toxic couples, you know, me and Crow, that's our, that's our subject today. We're going to be talking about toxic couples or just the worst couples, couples that people actually sort of revere. They hold them up and it's like, this is the, this is, these are, these are like really, you know, hashtag relationship goals. And they're, they're totally not. Not when you dig just a little bit deeper into them. And usually when we're thinking about, you know, our protagonists, you know, that that in poor relationships, you know, for example, like Ted and Robin from How I Met Your Mother, uh, were actually pretty poor Mm -hmm. for each other. Uh, They they just weren't they they fed off each other's worst personality traits. So uh, we have we have compiled our our a fine list of of our worst toxic couples. Uh, for your amusement today, and and Kat, I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you kick it off. Who's uh, who's in no particular order, unless you specifically rank them. Uh, who is who is your first toxic couple? Well, thank you, Penda, and you're absolutely right. They are not ranked in any particular order for me. However, um, they it's they are very bad in comparison to like you said people who uh have these individuals as relationship goals or think like you know this is not exactly what it is a a spotlight on toxic couples these people should i don't know if they should ever be together or even around each other because they actually bring out the worst and when you think about the toxic couples, you know, everybody, like even in our last podcast, check that out, uh, everybody. Um, I mentioned when we mentioned uh, toxic uh, female characters and toxic male characters, you know, one of mine 
I had Ross and Rachel listed as um, one male and one female each. So together they're the power couple of toxicity. So I didn't necessarily want to put them on the list, but in the vein of these, um, uh, the Ross, Ross and Rachel-esque couples, uh, my first pick of uh, today is going to be Jerry and Beth. Now, Jerry and Beth come from uh, the cartoon show, Rick and Morty. This is an adults only show, everybody, for the record. Do not, I would not recommend you uh, letting your kids uh, watch this, but hey, do whatever you want. It's a free country, right? However, uh, Jerry and Beth, they are like literally terrible for each other. They were high school sweethearts and Beth got unexpectedly pregnant um, with their first child. And then they eventually had a second son, I mean, a second child, son, Rick, I mean, excuse me, Morty. Um, and then you can tell by the time you're introduced into the show that Jerry's just this spineless coward creature who's just resentful of everyone else's success, but makes absolutely no effort to propel himself forward in any way, shape, or form. And don't worry, Beth, along with her dad and pretty much everybody else in the family, reminds him of this every day. All the time while she's nursing her um, her her wine habit, <laughs> consuming disproportionate amounts of wine, they even went to a marriage counselor, which was off-world. Keep in mind, Rick and Morty, is a uh, sci-fi cartoon. So they went to an off-world marriage counselor and it just turned into an adventure. Like their worst impulses came out until they even had to like separate from each other on the show. When they actually separated from each other, you, you saw pretty much how pathetic they are individually. And in comparison to when they reconciled, it was almost like you don't want to inflict these two horrible individuals on anyone else. So I was actually happy when they got back together. So just like they can destroy each other's lives and they don't, um, you know, impact anyone else's lives by ruining them as well. That's how bad these people are. So yeah, that's definitely my first pick, Penda. Um, Jerry and Beth from Rick and Morty. Great show, funny. Um, again, for adults, um, so check it out when you, if you get an opportunity, they got some, they got episodes showing on Hulu. They got episodes uh, showing on Netflix. It's a Cartoon Network original. So wherever you uh, see the good, uh, see, want to see the show, I recommend checking it out. Super awesome. But they are a terrible couple. So what about you, Penda? What would you uh, say your first pick is my for first, Toxic Couple? My first pick, I'm waiting for this cat to get in the I window. I see Crow. Hello, Mr. Crow. Hopping in. in. You want it in? Let's go. Let's go. There, yes. We were talking about, we were talking about Toxic Couples oh and so, Speak of the Devil and He Shall Arise. And let's go. Come on. Up. Up. Okay, down. Okay, bye. He's like, no, I've changed my mind. You tried. My first couple, we're going to go back a little bit to, to uh, the original uh, uh, the original version of this show. 
that would be Gilmore Girls that ran from 2000 to 2007 on NBC, I'm pretty sure. Um, and, uh, you know, Gilmore Girls is about a single mom uh, uh, and, and the and the white, white bread, uh, practically gated community of Stars Hollow, Connecticut. Uh, she's running a bed and breakfast <laughs> called The Dragonfly Inn. Um, oh. and she's, and she's, she's scattered and she's sassy and, um, and she's raising a daughter who is like the polar opposite of her. She's raising her daughter, Rory, who is like whip smart, uh, Lorelai and Rory. Lorelai has fantastically rich parents, which is why she can afford to run this bed and breakfast. And, uh, so they have, uh, they're sending Rory to this very private, very exclusive school called Chilton. So Rory has plans to get into Yale. So Rory's second relationship uh, is with a boy um, who is basically, I don't remember, I don't remember Jess's exact origin story, uh, but he is not of Stars Hollow, Connecticut. I believe he's like from Jersey or New York or I, mm. I don't know. But he's rough around the edges. He's super disrespectful. And of course, Rory has to go out with him because she's like, he's different from any boy that she's ever known. And because she's like 16. So we've all been there. We've all been there where every boy we meet is unlike any boy we've ever known because we've we've only met like four boys, you know? Yeah. So, you know, so Rory leads a profoundly sheltered life. Uh, and then she meets Jess. So uh, I've I've broken out, and for all these, I've broken out a few reasons why uh, these people are, are horrible for each other. But but top of the list, um, there's a communication issue. Jess and Rory don't talk to each other. They argue with each other. Um, they don't have uh, they don't have a way to communicate that's not um, hanging up <laughs> hanging up on each other or or um, you know, talking to each other through their friends. Um, so they, they, th there's a huge, it's sort of like a, a constant episode of like three's company where one of them mishears something and jumps to a billion wrong conclusions. And instead of talking to the person to iron it out, they just get angrier and angrier and then do, do stupid stuff to make the situation worse. That was pretty much Jess and Rory in a nutshell. Uh, and because of that, they like to wind each other up. They like when they were mad at each other, they used to um, uh, they used to be seen with other people to make the other one jealous. I mean, it was it's it's childish high school stuff. Um, and we could all relate to it because we were all childish in high school once. But still, uh, for, yeah. for two people yeah. that claimed, you know, they could not live without each other. Uh, it was really, really painful to watch. Um there's there's a scene later on um, uh, where Rory goes to find Jess at a party and he's really upset and they start kissing and he sort of pressures her into having sex and she doesn't want to. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and she gets really mad about it and she leaves and of course it leads to a fight between her ex-boyfriend and Jess and they end up there's a fight and then Jess like completely ghosts her. Um, all over the fact that she didn't want to, as a minor, you know, have sex. And everybody hated Jess after that. So it was really fine. We were all sort of on the let's hate Jess boat. Um, he had a bad boy attitude, with which at first Rory really liked, but he was, again, super disrespectful to her mom, 
to his uncle that he was staying with. He was super disrespectful to Rory's grandparents who had graciously invited him over. He just, he had no respect for authority. And so everybody sucked. Uh, And everybody was just, um, everybody but but Rory. Uh, And again, that moves to being super manipulative. They both were, but he more so. He liked to tell her, well, this isn't you. And it's like, I don't really know if you can tell another person, this isn't you. This isn't who you're meant to be. It's just a, it's a very, it's a, it's a form of gaslighting. Uh, and you see it in a lot of abusive relationships where someone says, well, that's not you. You know, I know, I know the real you that, and, and so you should just be with me because I know who that person is. Um, and I think I, I read somewhere that they called Jess a walking trauma response. And again, Jess had a rough upbringing. Uh, and that, of course, filled over into the rest of his life and, and his interactions with everyone. And But he refused to change at all. He refused to. He didn't want to conform. He didn't want to, you know, he didn't want to live in, 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 in beautific stars hollow. You know, this, you know, he thought everybody was fake and everybody was being a poser. And then the, what does he do? He moves to New York to become a published author. So I can't I, I can't with either one of them uh, again. <laughs> so so my my first, my first couple of the of of the evening is 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 Jess and Rory just for being a walk a trauma walking trauma response and Rory for being so immature uh she can't tell the difference between uh being love and and being gaslit on a on a regular basis. Mm. Listen, I've never seen Gilmore Girls but just listening to that they definitely don't sound like they should be together. <laughs> <laughs> not ever. Like not ever or or any, anyone else should be with those two either. They have to save themselves a lot of trouble. Exactly. Exactly because neither one of them actually changed. So you're absolutely right. <laughs> Do not inflict them on them. <laughs> Please. <laughs> so who's next on your so, list? Who's next on my list? This was one that some listeners may find is a, a surprise, but honestly, if you really take take a step back and look at the history of it, it's not really. It is the um, my next couple that I am listing is Kermit the Frog <laughs> and Miss Piggy. Yes. Now, hear me out. Hear me out. <laughs> we have known these two individuals in some capacity or another for over 40 years when the Muppet show was first introduced. Right. And then just taking a look back, you know, Miss Piggy, she's got the swag, she's got the sass, but can any of us really disregard the fact that she was totally abusive, right? Totally. To the point, like, yeah, just physically abusive. She was like literally knocking other animals in the air and attacking celebrities and just, you know, she had a lot going on, right? And Kermit was kind of an enabler. Instead of him actually like ending the relationship, you know, he would, you know, try to calm her down and, you know, he'd be in fear and things of that nature. But he also did little things like string her along too. In certain episodes, like if she's not, paying Kermit enough attention, he might, you know, go over there and give her a little smooch on the cheek and make her think she has some hope. And they even actually got married 
on the Muppets Take Manhattan, the movie. She right? ambushed him. Yes. She she did. She absolutely did. Uh, he said, I do. You know? <laughs> like, I did not see any kind of guns there um, forcing him. That was not a shotgun wedding, but it was an ambush. You're absolutely right. Um, Kermit, he has a little arrogant streak about him, too. And he kind of, you know, holds Miss Piggy along, um, pulls her along a little bit. But I, I would say between the two of them, she is definitely more of the aggressor. Um, but he's not innocent in the relationship. So after, you know, 40 years of off and on and will they, won't they, are they even actually legally married? I don't know. I've seen some half pigs, half frog kids in uh, the remake of A Christmas Carol that starred the Muppets, right? So there was definitely something going on there as much as he tried to like brush it off. Uh, but eventually they did call it quits to the point that there was a actual press release that was submitted to Twitter from Kermit the Frog, his actual verified account. And he had to nerve the nerve to at the real Miss Piggy when he released this statement. Because why not? Because why not? I'm just going to take a moment and read the actual official press release statement about their relationship. It's not too long, I promise everybody. But here is the official statement from the real Miss Piggy and myself regarding our relationship. After careful thought, thoughtful consideration and inconsiderable squabbling, <laughs> we have made a difficult decision to terminate our romantic relationship. We will continue to work together on television while shamelessly plugging the Muppets um, reboot on well, Wednesdays, 8, 7 central on this fall on ABC. And in all the media now known hereafter, uh, devised in perpetuity, he said in perpetuity <laughs> throughout the universe, throughout the universe, whereafter devised in uh, perpetuity. I read that again. However, our personal lives are now distinct and separate, and we will be seeing other people, pigs, frogs, etc. This is the only comment we will be making on this private matter. Unless we get the right offer. Thank you for your understanding. <laughs> now, if that is not toxic, I do not know what is. That frog said in perpetuity. In perpetuity. They, yes. And and if yes, I and if I'm yes. not mistaken, showed up in an interview with his new squeeze who looked just like Ooh. Miss Piggy. So, no, he didn't. So See, sort I of didn't. like sort of like, <laughs> you know, every you know, they say everyone has a type, you know. Yeah. And, and and not to out my dad, but I'm going to out my dad. You know, all of my dad's favorite companions look like my mom. It's just a thing. I, <laughs> I completely get that. You know, I have a thing for tall guys with, you know, dark hair and glasses. It's fine. It's really fine. Mm -hmm. But Kermit definitely has a type and it, it yeah. smells like bacon. Yeah, definitely. That reminds me of um, an, the episode on Friends where Ross and Rachel broke up and Rachel started dating a guy that looked exactly like Ross and she, everyone could see it, but her, it was like, yeah, yep. just, just own your toxic. Exactly. Just own it. <laughs> please. 
So that's my second pick. What about you, Penda? I am going to go with... Uh, I'm going to go with Kate Beckett and Rick Castle from uh, ABC's Castle, which ran from 2019 to 2016 on ABC. Um, mm -hmm. And and in the beginning, I love this show. So so if you're if you're not aware of the show, I believe it's probably on one of the streaming platforms by now. But the show is about uh, a thriller mystery writer named Rick Castle, uh, and his best-selling series is about. Um, a woman homicide detective, which he has based off of uh, Kate Beckett, who is a New York City um, a New York City police officer who is a detective in the homicide division at the Twelfth Precinct. And another reason why I found a, an affinity to that because was because my dad worked at Number Twelve in Detroit. So it's mm -hmm. like I, I saw some parallels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so in order to get a feel for an actual for the work that the an actual homicide detective does because his works are sort of like erotic thrillers. So I'm pretty, yeah, I'm so Nikki heat was the name of the character. Um, and I think all the books had heat in the title. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, spent a lot of time breaking police procedure and doing what she wanted and sleeping with a bad guy and, and prevailing anyway. Uh, so oh, he, wow. he requested a ride along with, with detective Kate Beckett. So he could get a feel for actual police procedurals. So he could see how it was done in, re in reality. Not that he was going to actually right. do any of that stuff, but meh, you know, it was his way to get close because he actually had a crush on her. And this was his way of getting close to her. Uh, and, and Rick Castle is, is a great, you know, he was a, I won't say he's a great writer. I will say he's a very popular writer, um, had legions of fans. Um, but his his research wasn't wasn't exactly solid, uh, and so that's the premise of the series: is this writer um, gets to write along with this police detective through uh, pretty dangerous cases, which sounds super super um, irresponsible. Uh, I know he got to yeah, wear a, you know, when the police go into a situation, they have jackets that say "Yellow Police" on the back. Uh, he mm -hmm. got one that said writer on the back, which actually I, I kind of yeah. love. <laughs> I don't need one that says security. I want one that says writer right across the back. <laughs> I'm a writer. I will put you in my book. Exactly. <laughs> don't. Uh, so and, uh, over the course of time, uh, they develop a relationship. And I think in like season three, season four, they got married. And then like half of season four, he was like missing for a while. Um, but anyway... It started out great until the relationship developed, and that's pretty much when I started to check out, and then after season five, I quit. But here are my reasons why Casket, which was the fan shipping name they were given, Castle and Beckett. Casket. Oh, my God. I'm so sick of that. <laughs> <laughs> Finding the names is so sickening. Um, so their relationship solely was driven by like jealousy uh this sort of mutual crush that they sort of had on each other um their their relationship was also born out of like fear because I, even though homicide de detectives in reality are not put in this level of danger for the purposes of abc every weekend someone was getting shot at uh, so their relationship really was was sort of like a uh, foxhole mentality uh, that they were always together in dangerous situations and sort of clinging to each other. Um, 
doesn't make for a, a, a solid foundation for, for any relationship. But, uh, but off the top, you know, Kate Beckett didn't really respect Rick because he was just a writer and she was actually doing the work. He was just writing about it. Um, while some of his off the wall ideas would help solve a case, um, she honestly believed that her years in the service and her, her shield, you know, her title made her just a little bit better uh, when it came to police work than, than he was. Uh, and she thought he was endlessly immature, which he was, <laughs> and constantly a skirt chaser, which he was. But she also would let her jealousy get in the way. And she was never not jealous of any woman in his circle, be it a fan, like being a doting fan, which he had lots of, um, again, perpetuating that that fantasy that all writers are fabulously wealthy and live in, you know, two-story apartments in, in downtown New York. It does not happen, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but whether it was a fan or his ex-wife or um, the time that he would spend with his daughter, uh, she was jealous of, like, everything and everyone that came close to him. They would frequently lie to each other under the guise of, I need to keep you safe, so let me keep this important piece of information from you, even though this important piece of information could lead to you not being in danger. And they both did it, and they both did it all the time, uh, which led to all sorts of misunderstandings, because then they thought, oh, is he cheating on me? Is he seeing someone else? Is he about to break up with me? Um, When really it was, no, here comes a bad guy and he's trying to kill you. Um, uh, at early on, we, we know that castle or that Beckett is trying to solve the murder of her mother. Um, but he went behind her back and for like two or three seasons was actively investigating her mother's murder, which is a huge invasion of privacy, especially when she told him specifically to back off. Right. Yeah, that's not toxic at all. It's a, right, right, right. Delving into the deepest, most private part of Castle kept seeing his ex-wife, um, but she was rich in the Hamptons. And <laughs> wow, okay. Right, and and then it was more than well, you know, the, she is the mother of my child. It was like, no, you guys are going out. You guys are, yeah, you guys are really going out. Um. I think in season five, uh, Beckett gets a new job in like DC or something. Um, and, and Castle basically guilts her, you know, gaslights her into coming back and being a cop in New York. Um, and, and a lot of it, again, is that, is that manipulation. I mean, he really, so this was part of her dream job working, I believe it was working for the FBI. Oh, wow. Castle did not want her to move and didn't want her to leave and gave her all sorts of reasons or excuses why she shouldn't take that job. And so she ended up not taking that job. Um, Of course, because her career is second. Because her career, her career that has excellent benefits and uh, unlike writers who don't have any of that, unless you're paying for it out of pocket, Mm-hmm. Um, Castle had abandonment issues for all sorts of reasons. Uh, he was very clingy. He right. lived for a lot of parties and not to anyone because he didn't want to get left. 
blackmail on both sides. They also only profess their feelings for each other when they suspected the other one was a. So yeah, they they got they got married. Did they actually get married? Married, or was the ceremony interrupted because he got kidnapped? He got kidnapped in one of the episodes and was gone for like two months, and it was like never spoken of again. Which wow. was, which was again, and I and that was about when I was checking out, and I'm like, I cannot deal with this this horrible relationship because it really started the 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 fun part of the show, you know, is always the chase. Um, and then you get married and then there's like all that married sex, which is kind of boring. And that's basically what happens to any of these shows where your two main characters finally get together. There's just no, the spark in the show is the chase. And, and once they were actually stuck with each other, they didn't know how to act, you know, that the whole, the whole chase facade was dropped and, and, it, and it stopped being fun. And then of course, season eight, there was no Beckett. She was like, actually written out of the show and they what? lived along for a whole season and i know i wasn't even watching by then because i'd bailed in five but yeah there was this whole there was this whole final season it was sort of like x files like the last season and a half of x files where there's no david duchovny yeah. uh casket yeah. or casket castle was just like that there was no main character there was not that other half and so it was like why are we watching this and it was finally blessedly canceled. Mm -hmm. So yeah, <coughs> there's my there's my second couple is is Casket, Kate Beckett, and and Rick Castle. They should have never gotten together, and the show would have been much much better for it. <laughs> Clearly, it seems like you have some strong feelings about that. I have a few uh, strong feelings about that. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I guess that would take me to my next pick, which is Spike and Buffy from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. Now I'm yes, but I, I have to be specific on this. It has to be Soulless Spike and Buffy from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which aired from 1997 to 2003. So anybody who's been listening to this podcast, um, knows that Buffy the Vampire Slayer is one of my favorite shows of all time on television, right? But even I can admit that, you know, toxic is toxic, right? So, um, yeah, I was looking at Willow and Tara, you know, in our previous episodes. Um, definitely Willow being a toxic character. But her and her relationship with uh, Tara was actually pretty wholesome, you know, just just thinking about it and talking it over. Um, but just taking a look back at, uh, Buffy, uh, just, just small historical, uh, note here. Uh, when Buffy died in like, uh, season five, you know, she sacrificed herself for everybody and the world, like, you know, heroes do. Um, she was snatched out of heaven by her friends. Oops, spoiler alert. It's been 20 years, but spoiler alert. <laughs> um, <laughs> She was revived um, and by her friends. And then she didn't admit until like halfway through the season, that season six, that she was um, snatched out of heaven. Everybody thought she, they rescued her from this hell dimension that she was in when she died. But based, during the best, in my opinion, 
musical version of any show that has ever been done. Once more with feeling. I have that songbook somewhere. Everything. Oh my goodness. Some of the best music you ever want to hear, but I don't want to get sidetracked, but, but I have to give them their props. This is where, you know, um, basically everything kind of comes out. Buffy had already admitted to Spike that she was snatched out of heaven, but only during once more with feeling does the whole group know what damage they did to her. And uh, ironically, this would signify Buffy and Spike um, beginning in their toxic relationship. This episode uh, has their first kiss. Um, then they engage in the, uh, like this this guy from YouTube I listen to, Vinci says, the horizontal mamba. <laughs> they engage in the horizontal mamba. But it's completely toxic. Buffy doesn't think a lot of herself she really she admits to spike the only reason that she even deals with him is to just feel something because she just feels numb and just in pain and sad all the time and she's just using this guy um to gratify herself spike not having a soul doesn't really care as long as he can <laughs> indulge in you know hey guess what he says all these horrible things while they're engaged um, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with a slayer right now and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And, and just, you know, just says awful things to her and she says awful things to him. Um, until she actually like it, you know, confides into one of her friends. She feels like there's something wrong with her because she's attracted to Spike. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with his, his rippling swimmer's bod and his <laughs> slick back, you know, bleach blonde you know, idle hair. No, that doesn't have anything to do with it. She's, she's angry at herself and sad and that she is attracted to this guy with no soul. Um, to the point that, you know, she would break up with him constantly during the season and then, uh, get back with him. She would berate him, but then, you know, be at his crypt, um, wait, you know, to engage with him. Until she finally decides, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Um, she, she, uh, said, you know, she, she admitted that she was using him and it was killing her inside. And so he kind of left her alone for a minute, but his obsession, like any soulless vampire's obsession is going to take over. And they were, you know, he literally, literally sleeps with one of her friends and they caught it all on video her best friend xander's ex-fiance that's another story he left her at the altar she was in pain um spike was in pain over buffy they end up sleeping together and then it's all on cctv where buffy and xander sees it xander tries to kill spike buffy stops him then later on spike goes to buffy and when she's about to get in the tub and say, why, basically, why did you save me? I don't know. I didn't want him to kill you, so on and so forth. One thing leads to another. And he actually tries to assault Buffy, right? And this was like the first time, because she was already injured from another fight with a vampire, that he literally did overpower her. And it wasn't until she like was able to get the upper hand and push him off of her that he realized what he did to you know what he attempted to do 
And as a soulless creature who only cares about his own gratification, um, he, you know, was conflicted from the man that he was prior to getting us, you know, prior to losing his soul. And then the, the, the creature that he is now kind of leads him into his own redemption arc, which is a completely different story, but still powerful nonetheless. Um, but just from the time that she came back from heaven to the time that he actually tried to assault her, they were in this, weird symbiotic relationship with one another or maybe they were two parasites that were feeding off of each other however you want to word it um their relationship as it was at that time could not be sustainable so that is why soul is spike and buffy were the worst for each other and for the world so that <laughs> i don't know how um it, it it was pretty terrifying there at the time you know it's especially like you know you look back you can sum it all up and like oh, spike turned out to be a good guy at the end uh yeah but you know one one bad act does not wash out the good or the good the bad that is stannis baratheon game of thrones so fan service with cat and penda is produced by our own we selves cat and penda if you like what you hear, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform so other cool people can find us. If you love what you hear, you can support us for as little as 99 cents a month. You can find us on Twitter at Cat and Penda and leave us a voicemail message at the link below. Feel free to drop us a line at catandpendafanservice at gmail.com. But if you hate us, you can still do all of the same things but maybe quietly and to yourself. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.